Welcome to It Doesn't Look Good. As always, I'm your host, Tim, and this is our penultimate episode of season one. So if you haven't listened to the first five episodes yet, there's no time like the present. Today, we're going to hear Harper's story. At two, she was diagnosed with a very rare tumor in and around her lungs. Her parents, Chad and Jay, are going to explain to us the toll it took on them as parents, how it strengthened their relationship with God, and the joy they have in sharing her story with people that need to hear it. So without further ado, here's the episode. The beginning, it was just a horrible cough, and the, all the doctors always said, oh, it's an ear infection. And she did, in fact, have ear infections every time, and so we would put her on some medicine for the ear infection, the ear infection would go away, and the cough would subside for a little bit, and then it would return. And it eventually got to where the cough would be, could make her throw up, or she would turn blue. It was, it was pretty intense. It'd be for, a lot like an asthma attack, but she would have it um, anytime you laid her down. So nights were So we're talking really daily tough. at this point. Mm-hmm. And that would have been probably around Thanksgiving, November, when it got really bad. Right, so we had, I'd started my first job um, at Columbia Christian School, Um, It was a private school in Magnolia, and it was her first time in daycare. So we're thinking it's just normal daycare things when everything starts. It's her first time to ever be around all these kids. And so we're thinking, okay, your infection's a bad cough. That's normal. And so as soon as we got the ear infections fixed, she she finally got tubes in January. And so we're thinking finally some relief for her. Then... I would say it lasted a little bit longer than just the typical medicine. The The cough had subsided longer than the typical antibiotics that she had taken, but then it came back no different. And um, so finally the pediatrician said, well, maybe it's an allergy. How about you go to yeah. an allergy doctor in Little Rock? So tubes were in January. We go in February. Yeah, she... Um, or do we go... She's at the point to where... Like I said, she's not sleeping, mm-hmm. and I'm sleeping like in the floor next to her crib because, mm-hmm. as Jay said, she would get to where she would vomit. We didn't know when that would take place, and you know she's two years old, so uh, many nights it would just be me and her propped up on the couch watching Sports Center at three o'clock in the morning because oh, we just couldn't sleep, and yeah. we wanted her to get some sleep. She, she had to go get up and go to school the next day, but it was the end of January when we just, we went to see the allergy specialist, and uh, that kind of got the ball rolling right and it you feel like it, at a certain point you kind of feel like well maybe they just don't think we're telling like they don't understand how bad it really is like yeah. they're not at home with her when she's turning blue oh they're new she, parents she, they're just right yeah. right and so thank heavens you know looking back she had an attack while we were at the allergy doctor the allergy doctors actually who said Something does not sound right. Even when she's on this big nebulizer breathing type thing, something just doesn't sound right. I'm going to send you to Children's for a chest x-ray. Have you guys ever had a chest x-ray? Well, our answer is no. We've always been treated for ear infections. And so no. I was almost, I was, yes, very frustrated at what I was hearing, but I was almost very relieved at the same time that someone finally felt and saw yeah. what we saw all the time and so Mm -hmm. it was almost a relief that maybe we were going somewhere in the right direction somewhere larger than the pediatrician somewhere larger than 
you know, children's hospital, you know, that's, that's big. So yes, the height of this problem is there, but the relief for me personally at that moment was much greater than the fear at that moment. So we go to children's actually that evening because we had, we had been to the allergy specialist that morning and they were able to get us in later that afternoon. So we take her to Children's, and they put her in a contraption to get an x-ray done because she's two. So they basically strap them still. And so she's screaming and having a fit. And this is on a Friday, and they get the x-ray done. And since at the time we're in Magnolia and our family's in Central Arkansas, we had kind of packed the stay the weekend anyway just to see family. And so we were at my parents' house later that night, and they called told us that they saw something on the x-ray, they wanted to get a better look, and ask us if we could come in for a CT scan on Monday. And for me, when we got that call, I was already in this isn't, this isn't good kind of mind frame. And so we, we go back on Monday, they do the CT scan, and before we even get out of recovery, they had already called the nurse and asked for Jay and I to come to a different part of the hospital. Pulled us back there and put us back in a room. The doctor came in, put the scan up on a screen, and showed us. I mean, it was a mass basically taking up three-fourths of her right lung. I mean, it was, yeah. it was large. And that's when they kind of first used the cancer word honest they said they thought just by looking at, at it it was called a neuroblastoma and they were going to admit us to oncology and um they were going to set us up for a biopsy and some bone marrow mm-hmm. um the next morning yeah they, they immediately checked us checked us in even and even in that moment it was when when they called us in recovery to come to another part of the hospital for me that was the first uh oh because we were literally still she was still trying to wake up we haven't even like tried to check out yet and anyone said oh by the way yeah you know no nothing like that that was for me it was like one of those moments where you just kind of look at each other and go like nothing can be said but your eyes say it all or your face facial expression says it all and um and even hearing the words cancer and oncology, I still, at that moment, didn't even put in my mind, we're going to be admitted to the oncology unit, meaning this child has cancer. Like, that right. still hadn't processed in my mind. And even the words were coming, it wasn't there yet. Like, I hadn't sure. made that for real connection. Like, oh, wait, we're admitted in the oncology section. It didn't even... Yeah, it's almost a really surreal kind of yes. moment. Our whole story is complete roller coaster because we get told that on Monday, they immediately check us in. They schedule her for a biopsy that Tuesday morning. And so we wake up Tuesday morning to nurses coming in and like we're having to watch nurses bring in dolls to our two-year-old that they could like take the hair off the doll and these nurses are trying to explain to our little girl like what's about to happen to her body because they're getting ready to start chemo and well they take her for the biopsy and I think they had told us that would maybe take about an hour and within like 15-20 minutes the surgeon comes out and all of our family were in the waiting room 
and he basically informs us that it doesn't look like cancer that they don't have a clue what it is he doesn't know what he's dealing with he's never seen it he's stitched her back up and now we're back to no one knows what yeah, it is again kind of square one all they over did, again they, yeah they did take give, go ahead and take the biopsy but they did not do anything sure. with the bone marrow at that point well it was a god thing again so my brother lives in little rock and randomly just took it he's a school teacher he's a coach and took a day off of school at this point we've probably been in the hospital for a week because they're they're treating her for an infection at this moment or a fungus and so we're hanging out in their hospital room my brother takes a day off of school he comes up and sits and just hangs out with us just they're just, just to clarify they're treating her for a fungus because they don't know what it is because they don't know what it is this is like best guess of what we're dealing with and we've we've had multiple doctors we've met with multiple different doctors in multiple different areas at this point where the surgeon that saw the tumor the oncologist that was going to begin the chemo and he's the one the oncologist was the one more so than anybody else it was like this is not cancer the pulmonary doctor because sure. it had to do with her lung the cardiologist because it was starting the this tumor was starting to shut off to start. right yeah. this is about to shut off it was shutting off lots of veins to her superior vena cava and the infectious disease doctor which would be the bacteria and the fungus and so we're just sitting here with all these doctors that don't really have answers so we're playing the guessing game and I don't know if Jay felt this way, but like if I look back at that time, it was almost like every doctor was given his explanation of why it wasn't what they deal with. And so it was almost like they were all trying to put it off on a different department or a different area because yeah. no one had an answer. So tell me kind of like at this point, spiritually, like kind of what you're going through as far as your relationship with the Lord or frustration with him or just kind of like, hey, can you please answer some of our questions? I was very still overwhelmed with everything. And so at, at the time, I just needed some weight lifted. It doesn't even have to be answers, but just something to give me a little hope. Like, I, that's, what I, that's what I needed at the moment from him desperately. And it was, you know, we had a lot of people come and visit and bring her things, but nothing really made me feel any better because she wasn't getting any better. As a matter of fact, it was just the opposite. The the more pokes and the more tubes up her nose. And the, I mean, it was just more instead of less. And so it yeah. was just beginning to get just so overwhelming that um, just a, even a little bit or a little glimpse of something would give me some peace and rest. But And I, and I wasn't getting it. I wasn't angry, but I was not, I was, I don't even know if you could say I was frustrated. I was just I just felt like I was lost like and empty. had nothing else to give. Yes. I went probably to instant anger. Because I remember like the first time we were told that she had cancer, like that moment, I remember the first thought in my head was just instant anger and like feeling robbed. Because again, like for me, I had wanted a kid for a long time. Uh, plus I'm in ministry, wrongfully for me, you feel like you're old something. Uh, I, I went straight to anger and frustration, and I, again, like I remember that that first moment, thinking, "Man, I've I've waited, and like two years is all you're gonna give me." And so spiritually, it was a huge struggle for me. Right, I mean, right from day one, I'm just kind of feeling robbed, and and not getting what 
I felt like maybe I deserved. Yeah. You know? And then when it, it you know, just being your little girl and, and like Jay was saying, seeing all the things she's having to go through, that anger just really honestly never goes away. Yeah, it intensifies when exactly. you see the pain and the struggle. And, the, and there's nothing you can do about yeah. it. Again, like we have that day while we're still in Little Rock that my brother takes off work and he's, he's just simply hanging out in the in the hotel uh, hospital room with us. And at this point, cardio is beginning to get involved and Dr. Frazier comes into our room and she recognizes my brother and they begin to talk, come to find out her kids went to my brother's school and my brother had had her kids in class. And so as they begin to talk, it kind of, we kind of begin to build that relationship with her and she's the first one who kind of sat down with us and was like, what are they telling you? And so we began to share with her and she said, look, Harper's in a situation to where at any moment she could need emergency surgery and we do not have the people here that can make that happen and ask our permission to begin to send her information out to different hospitals across the country, mainly trying to find a surgeon who in that situation could handle what she would need done. We ended up at Texas Children's in Houston and we went down there not knowing what was gonna happen, but went down there, they did another biopsy they finally got her diagnosed correctly, and then not knowing it, we would be in Houston for the next four months. Yeah, I guess it was four months. When we went to um, Houston, of course, they told us we'd be there for a couple of weeks, and that turned into, like Chad said, four months. But going to Houston and hearing the doctor say, well, as soon as we get there, before we even do a biopsy, he says, I think it's one of these two things. And he does the biopsy because he wants his own, wants his own biopsy. He does the biopsy and he gets the results back and it is one of those things. So there, that is the first time in... The whole time. Well, yeah. since the allergy doctor that we have a gleam. At that point, we kind of, I, I can say I really started to see like God working and it was just little things like, again, Jay was teaching at a school in Magnolia and one of the classes wanted to do something for, uh, and so they wanted to do those wristbands that everybody wears. And they called Jay and asked for a verse and a color and Harper picked the color out. And I think they were selling them for like $5 or something like that. But And I think just through those rubber bands at one point, they had raised like over $8,000. Oh, wow. And like, that it was, was like an eighth grader's seventh grade or fifth grade class like it was just a group of kids i mean sure and they ended up having to do two or three orders and they were getting sent like all over the world because we had we had people in other countries even ordering them and asking for them and so that was one um and then a big one that i got to experience is when the hospital finally gave us permission to leave the hospital now we're having to stay in houston but they're giving us permission to go stay in a hotel Due to Harper's condition, we couldn't just go stay anywhere. So Houston's Houston, right? And so there's never a time where traffic is not bad. And so they actually brought us a list of hotels that were options for us to stay because we could only get so far away. And so it's this early Sunday morning and I'm walking from hotel to hotel. At this point, they've told us to plan on being there for, I think, a month is what I'm having to tell these people at at the hotel. Plus, you know, we don't want just 
a hotel room because we're going to be living there. So we ended up getting a pretty good deal at the Wyndham and they were going to be able to get a room with a living room and a kitchen and they gave me the basically they printed out what their the estimated cost would be. Yeah. They were right across the street from the hospital and so they had a medical rate for a certain extended right. amount of time. And so well. I think yeah. it was it was like 5,000 something odd dollars. So I'm walking back to the hotel or back to the hospital from the hotel and by this time it's Sunday afternoon and my dad calls me and they had just gotten out of church and he said brother Jason Altman had given him a call. Well brother Jason is the pastor at Antioch where Jay grew up in church. So he said uh, brother Jason called me. Antioch took up an offering for Harper this morning. Do you want me to mail it to you or just bring it to you the next time I come down? And I was like, you can just bring it to me. And he said, what's well, 5000 And I kid you not, it was within $20 of the estimate that I had just been given from the hotel. Um, and so, yeah, you know, there's little things like that. You're like, okay. So the surgeon says he can do the surgery that would be required to take this tumor out. However... It would be a really tough surgery. It's attached to a lot of things in her little body, and he would have to do a lot of maneuvering in there. So let's talk to oncology to see if they could shrink this tumor with chemo. That is how we got on our chemo for the... Probably nine or ten months. Nine or ten months, yeah, of chemo that we were on was the whole purpose. We didn't go to Houston for chemo or for the oncologist. We went for, to Houston for the surgeon, and he suggested a way to shrink this tumor. And as she grew, the tumor, you know, would hopefully continue to get smaller. And sure. then he could go in if needed and just take it out. Well, why don't you tackle the diagnosis? You, you left that part out. Okay. Is it hard to say? Yes, it is. And then explain it in itself, how the rarity of it. No. Um, it is an isolated myofibroblastic neoplasm. Very Can you well. Say I, that one more time. I, I, don't, I, I don't think we got it. Okay, yeah. Um, I think that's right. Okay. I, I'm not sure, but it's close if it's not sure. right. Sure. You have to say it again. Isolated myofibroblastic <laughs> neoplasm. I don't know how many words that is. Sure. But you, you made it several in how you <laughs> yeah. said it. Yeah. So, so we know what it is. Very rare. Well, I remember, again, they get her diagnosed, and we're at Texas Children's right next to MD Anderson. And now we've got doctors saying, okay, we know what it is, but we have no idea what to do with it. That's yeah. how rare it was. And the rarity is not not even necessarily the type of tumor. It, that is rare, but the biggest part was the in, ch- in children and where hers was particularly located in her sure. lung. They see them in legs or abdomen, but not so much in the lung. And they'd started her off, everything was a trial with, right. with the, our situation. So they started her off on a very light regimen, and we were doing scans every, th- what, Three weeks. I don't remember how often we were doing. But they scans. they started off really light, and of course, then things weren't going the way we were hoping, so they gradually got a little stronger um, to where we did get to the point to where we we began to see it take an effect on our body. Um, 
just energy level. Of course, she lost all of her hair, eyelashes, eyebrows, everything. That was probably a little harder on Mama. Yeah, that was by far the hardest part because up until she lost her hair... She looked normal. She looked normal. And like, like I said, she was two, so she... She pretty much kept on. She didn't have the, the hor- she really didn't have the horrible sickness very much at all. And so I don't know that that's her age or if that was just because of the regimen she was on. It may could you could have been in both. Yeah. But she did very well. She still played. Of course she was tired more than I would expect a 2-year-old to be, but she for the most part was really good. Um but that first time she lost her hair for me, as a mom, that was the first time she was sick for your physical eyes. Like, I just remember thinking, you can tell she's sick now. Like, you couldn't really tell before if you just saw her, but you can, she, like, it's reality. Like, you can't fake it anymore. Like, she's sick. You can see it. So, I think we had, actually, it was the first time that Jay and Harper got to go back home from a long stay in Houston and we got to go to church for the first time and we got home and uh, that was when Harper realized her her hair was coming out. I would I had always pictured it because I had never been around it as of that being a gradual thing and it's it's not. When you would you know when you'd brush it more would come out than normal throughout the chemo but but when it was time, it was time. We had to kind of explain to her what was taking place, but of course I have no hair, so she had a very good visual illustration of what was to come. <laughs> but uh, she went and got my clippers, and I mean at this point she's like three, and she goes and gets my clippers, and we get the stool, and we go in my bathroom, and so she would act like she was cutting my hair, and then I would cut hers, and we kind of went back and forth until we kind of had it all gone. And it really then at that point was just for her never an issue. Were you there for that? I was. I was there. What's crazy is when we came home to Magnolia, we could tell it was really starting to thin out, and so we had taken her to get her hair cut because it was the bottom of it was really stringy, and yeah. you know, and so we had gotten it cut that like that Friday, and then by that Sunday, I mean it was, it was bam. Gone. It was. I mean it was. It, it was patches. I was I was there, but I was not in there. I mean, I was at the house, but I was not in there when they were doing that. And I probably I know a lot of people thought, "What a great dad! He shaved his head for his daughter." <laughs> <laughs> nope, already had it. But we actually and we actually had to go through that two times. We yeah. did because then they pulled her off that stronger chemo and put her on some lighter chemo uh, because they thought we were starting to make some progress and. So she just gets to where it's starting to come back, and it's she's like a now buzz haircut at this point yeah. on a little now girl. Now she's excited because she thinks she's gonna get to shampoo her hair again, and then we have to go back to the hard stuff, and we have to go through it again. But when you're doing it with a child, one of the things that I didn't realize till later is people ask, "Is like how's she handling it? What kind of effect is it having on her?" And you don't know that you don't know at the time, and you really don't see it till later what kind of effect it is having on them. Because there's so many things that a child that age should be doing. I mean, she went a year probably never playing with another kid. So it had more emotional effects probably on her than physical. 
Yes, I would yeah. say so. And just in little things like due to her situation, she couldn't be submerged. So we she had to stand up in the bathtub, and we basically had to, I guess you would say, sponge bathe her. Bathe her, and the first time she was actually able to get in a bathtub, she was scared to death. She would not sit down in water, and that you know I remember thinking then like, I had no idea again that it was having the effect it was on her that something that small had affected her that much. So, we, the doctors decide you know we've gone we stopped chemo, we've gone a good while without chemo. Almost a year. And, you know, nothing seems to be happening. So at this point, they think, okay, this is just, we've, it's a dead ball of scar tissue. We, you know, we've accomplished what we need to. And if it's not really hurting her in there, we're going to keep an eye on it. But let's just not open up something that there's no reason to open if things are good. And so we go every three months for scans in Houston and um, things are good. And they decide at Christmas that... Let's try six months. Let's space it out a little. And so, you know, we're excited. We, we're moving to six months. That's a big deal. And so our first moment at six months, fast forward to June, we go for a scan and we get the news of um, it doesn't look good again. Yeah. And um, the tumor has become very active mm-hmm. in that six months and has like almost doubled in size and is got to have something done immediately at this point and it's crazy news because she had not showed any symptoms like it was totally unexpected the cough nothing nothing had like mirrored itself this time they scheduled the surgery but also they're letting us know that at that point surgery is not the end game they're telling us that best case scenario they think they may be able to get 60 70 percent of the mass out and then when she's able and her body's recovered from surgery that we're going to start chemo again so let me ask you this because this is not something that we've talked about yet but at any point during any of this did they talk life death any of that with you guys i don't think they did necessarily i don't like they never gave a prognosis or anything like if we're not able to beat it this is how long she would have i don't think so because i don't think there was enough known about it to begin with to know any of that kind of information right i think we both knew without having to talk about it that at some point it was gonna get her i guess is a good way to put it is that if if we didn't finally get a good result eventually it was going to catch up I mean, that's how i felt and even when again when they when they talked to us about the surgery and how hard the surgery was going to be and how they anticipated more chemo as you just kind of picture in your mind years and years of this I mean, you know, the body can only handle so much. And so eventually time is going to get us, you know. Yeah. It's kind of how, in my mind, I, I saw it. Now, well, how long that was going to be, I don't know. But I do remember several times thinking, however long that time is, it's not the time I felt she deserved. So whether it's 9, 15, 30, it's not 
80. So surgery is scheduled and it's on a Friday and um, I was nervous as I could be. Absolutely. Did they give you, did they tell you how long it was supposed to be? It was an all day thing. Like yeah. she was their only patient, I believe. Sure. Scheduled that day. for the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Isn't that the worst? Yes. <laughs> Sitting in there waiting for those phone and, calls. And I don't, things. again, like I don't really know that they had, I think they had an anticipation of possibly what might take place, but then nothing went <laughs> as I think they had planned. Um, and so they explained it to us that they thought that the mass at this point, because of its size, was stuck to her chest cavity. So they were going to go down the middle, go underneath her right ribs, basically pull her ribs out. They were going to take all of her right lung and do the best they could to scrape the mass off of her chest cavity to get as much of it as they could. 60 to 70%. Yes, sir. And, and then go from there. So we have our little buzzer like you get at restaurants when you're waiting and yep. we're sitting out in the waiting room and the nurse comes out to let us know that surgery has started. You know, they've made the incision. She'll be back out in an hour or so to let us know how things are going. And within 20, 30 minutes, our beeper goes off. And where we're sitting, there's glass doors to like the conference rooms and so when our beeper goes off, then we can see the surgeon, the nurses, and all the doctors walking That back. was supposed to be in with our child. Right. And so... Terrifying. Exactly. Oh, my goodness. Yes. I don't know if I've ever moved that fast out of right. my seat, ever. So we get to the conference room, and they begin to tell us that when they opened her up, uh, the mass was larger than they thought and that they did not know it because of x-rays but that the mass had actually moved to her left side and went around the back and it was attached to the back of her heart and told us we kind of had two options we could either um, give them permission to do the things necessary to put her on the machine and, and cut it off her heart heart lung bypass or yeah. stitch her up and yeah. kind of be done with it. So we... Um, and obviously for us, that was not a choice. There was the chemo we knew already hadn't worked. So the only option for her was plan A. And yeah. so we signed all the forms for them to put her on a heart-lung bypass and set scared to death for the next... However many hours, knowing that this machine was making our child's heartbeat, not her. So eight hours, almost nine hours later, Mm -hmm. uh, they come out and let us know that surgery's over. And even with the unexpected things that had taken place, the surgery went better than anybody could have imagined. And they were able to get it off her heart. They removed part of her trachea, reattached it, and... The surgeon said when he went to remove her right lung, that when he went to take the right lung out, the entire mass came out with it, and it wasn't stuck to anything. Never made, never had to make the incision under her ribs, uh, the one down the middle. It's all, all it took. Um, Which they told us multiple times that incision underneath her ribs would be the hardest recovery that she would yeah, have because sure. of where it was located. So she never had to endure any of that. And so <laughs> that that surgery is on a Friday. 
uh, by Sunday. And they were able to remove more than they had expected. They, correct? they mm-hmm. were able to m- remove every bit that was visible, not just 60 to 70%. All of it that they could visibly see, they removed. He knew that with a delicate area around her heart, that there were some microscopic possibilities there that we knew we were going to have to monitor. But basically got everything out. By Sunday, she's up walking around. By Tuesday, they check us out of the hospital and let us go to the hotel. Thursday, she's at the mall. And by the next Tuesday at our first checkup, they sent us home. So where we had been told to maybe be there a month, Mm -hmm. uh, she went home in 10 days. So they said she was able to recover so quickly because her body, they they think her body had already adjusted to only surviving on one lung. So her body was not having to get used to that, like in most cases. So going forward, she had the restrictions of one, one restriction. When she went to school, she couldn't wear a backpack. It was all she had. Was it? They didn't, the weight of the backpack, they didn't want it pulling on her shoulders. <laughs> so that was her only restriction. And we debated for a while whether we were going to do kindergarten at that point, but she wanted to go physically. She was able to go. And for so, a mama, I wanted something normal, so she went. Yeah, <laughs> I remember sitting. We met with the principal and the teachers at the school, and I remember sitting in there with them and saying, like, I'm just ready for her to experience normal. Like, she hasn't ever, and so I'm ready for her to experience normal. So, so you did the, the mom thing where you take her to her class on day one. Well, so day one for Harper meant after Labor Day. That, that was, I guess, a technically a restriction. She did have to wait till after Labor Day to start school. And then she only went half days for a few, maybe a week or two. Not Just to kind of ease into it. Right. And so um, she did, I mean, great. I think she was a little tired at the beginning. But then, I mean, what kindergartner isn't tired because they're not used to that school life right. yet. So, um, and after that, her when her six weeks were up, she could wear her backpack to class and life went on for her yeah Yeah. and then by that spring she's playing softball by that fall she's playing basketball and hadn't stopped doing either one that's great so from there on how often did you guys go for screening scans and stuff like that we started back at that three months you know every three months we would go and um here the past what two years we went we went three months for two years. Then we went six months for two years. You said the same thing twice. Three months for two years. And then the next and two years. And then we years. just did the next two years. It was six, six months. months. There you go. Okay. Right. And so we will go actually here in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And they actually gave us the news when we were there in February that they were ready to do once a year. Wow. But we had already scheduled to see some other doctors. And so we're going we're gonna to do a CT scan here in a couple of weeks. We're going to see her pulmonary doctor. And if everything goes well, we strongly anticipate that it'll be a once once a year. That's so incredible. So kind of tell me about your spiritual recovery from all of that. You know, you were working through anger and frustration. And, and so how did you kind of reconcile all of those emotions and feelings with what you went through and now on the kind of recovery side of it? Again, for me, like it took me a long time. Like spiritually, 
trying to make sense of what was taking place was a huge struggle for me. Um, so my anger led to depression, feeling like I wasn't able to do the things that I felt like spiritually as a father, as a husband, I could handle. Because you know Scripture enough to know what God expects from you or wants from you. But then in your heart, you know you're not there. Um, you almost feel like a fraud. Yes, and so you totally question everything internally of your relationship. Do you even know him? Yeah. Now, do you even believe that he exists? Like it, do everything you goes he's good. Yeah. Do you believe like, everything goes into sure, question? He's sovereign, but is he a good guy? And if he's sovereign, it almost raises more anger. Yeah. And so, um, I remember sitting down after years of struggling with this and going to some really dark places I never thought I would go um, and having a gentleman kind of share his story with me as well who lost a daughter and him being the first person to tell me that like all that stuff's okay like it's okay to feel all those things and question all those things um, and be angry at God because like if and tell me like God can handle your anger like if he yeah. can put his son on the cross and he can handle what took place with his son he can he can handle your anger so don't feel like you have to hold it in like yeah. let it be said like find someone to say it to find someone to express it to and let it out yeah you know um and um I was actually reading through scripture on my own and I'd probably read this story before uh, but I got to where I was reading where there's the Pharisee who his daughter is dying. And uh, he approaches Christ about coming and healing his daughter. And when you read through that really quickly, some people don't realize what a big thing it was for this guy who was a Pharisee to approach Jesus to heal his daughter. And so for the first time, I got to like read Scripture and say like that's me you got to put aside like knowledge and um what you know or what you've been told it's got to be more than just like your religion it's got to be faith and it's got to be able to put all the things aside and take everything to christ and just say man christ like it's yours not just harper but me, my marriage, being a father, being a husband, all that's like, it's all you. And there's a, there's a part as you begin, you continue to read that story, Jesus and this Pharisee are on their way to his house. And this is where the lady who has uh, an illness right. gets introduced. Sure. And she's speaking and their scripture's introducing her. And, and if you read through it too quickly, you'll miss it. But it says that she had spent everything and not gotten an answer. And so many times I think we read that and it says that she spent everything and we take that to maybe financially. When when you've been through it, spent everything's not just finances. You can spend everything and it be financially, spiritually, emotionally, to where you're completely empty. Like you're just done. You're done. Yeah. And when I, when I read, and this is where 
she, you know, she reaches out and she touches the hem of his garment and she's instantly healed. But when I picture that moment taking place, um, what I think people miss is she had to fight to get there. Because there's a crowd. And I don't know if she was on her hands and knees. I don't know how many elbows she threw or how many ankles she bit to get there. But she did what she had to do because her faith was strong enough to just reach out and touch his garment was enough. And so, like, for me, it was the first time again that I, I read through Scripture, and I was like, man, that's me. And I've got to fight to get myself back so I can just reach out get a touch of his garment, and just have faith that he's enough. And, uh, and uh, it's taken me a while to get there, um, but that's, that's kind of where I'm at now. So for me, I could be on a spiritual high every moment that we got some good news, but it was for a very short period, not because we got bad news right away, but just because we were on such a, an emotional roller coaster that I knew it was inevitably going to come. And so not only was it an emotional roller coaster, but it was a spiritual roller coaster as well because we'd get this great news and we'd feel all the all the feels that we're finally getting to have our relief. Like I spoke earlier, just a, you know, just a little glimpse of some hope. We would get that and then we knew like even even to this day I struggle with that because going to Houston in a couple of weeks, my anxiety has already started. So and and we obviously had it on our face when the doctor told us last time that we're looking at going only once a you know once a year for scans and mm -hmm. I know we I don't know what we looked like but it was enough to where the doctor said I know that's hard because we must have just been like wait what because she even responded yeah. to the looks on our face because we were so that was unfamiliar territory for even us. Har even Harper responded like she even when they when the doctor said it, even Harper goes, "Did they just say once a year?" Like even she responded to it. So for me, the emotional roller coaster, the highs and the lows, my spiritual was right on track with that. Now on this side of it, we didn't even talk about actually some of the things I can see God's hand literally putting us and putting people there, right where things and situations happening right where they needed to be. Her oncologist that she has right now was not the oncologist that we started off with. We were devastated when our oncologist left Houston because we loved him. He loved us. We were something different, something new. He loved our family. He went off somewhere. Little did we know God was putting the guy that he had been in contact with many, many times from LA who did studies on her particular type of cancer um to bring that's who he was bringing to texas children's hospital to be our oncologist we had no idea that was taking place but to watch his hand and that's who her oncologist is today people call him from all over for her type of tumor and yeah. so to to you know to look back and see all the moving pieces is what gives me hope i mean we before any of this started, we miscarried. Um, yeah. Not to mention that we had a baby between all of that. A whole story. We had a baby in the middle of all of Harper's stuff. We miscarried um, before any of this started. And never, ever is, do I think a miscarriage is a um, blessing or anything. But had we not miscarried that baby, we would have 
delivered and raised a newborn baby in a hotel in Houston, not in our home. And yeah. so, I mean, we were able to get pregnant later. We had no idea we were pregnant at the time, but it's so relieving to see, such a relief to see his hand looking back, just placing things in our life exactly where it needed to be. Yeah. So even though I don't 100% understand the why, um, nor I don't know if I ever will understand the why. You know, when I went through my counseling, I don't. She asked me that, and I was, I don't know. I, I don't understand the why yet. Even if I don't ever see it, I at least have some things I do see. I can't tell you how many. Uh, I mean, I've had adults come up to me who have recently been diagnosed with cancer, uh, and I remember one lady in particular that she said, you know, when she was taking her chemo, sitting in her clinic, she would get on her phone and go through Facebook and just read Harper's post. Uh, and that's what she would do. Um, and it's having the opportunity to help other people through trials and sufferings and things that they're going to face, um, that are unexpected, you know, and we have a foundation, in Harper's honor, and we raise money uh, for pediatric cancer research. And, and when you spend as much time as we have spent in a hospital, especially a children's hospital, you unfortunately get to see a lot of things you never thought you would see. And I know even now, for me, every time we go, and it's going to happen here in a couple of weeks. Every dad I face, every dad, every dad's face I see is a guy that's probably going through the same thing that I went through. But the difference is, is he going through it with Christ? And so to have the opportunity to go through the things we went through and to share Harper's story, and I honestly try to do it as much as God allows me to, is that... Her story is her story, but it's not her story without him. And so if, if her story can help one dad or one mom end up at Christ, well, then everything we've been through, totally okay with it. Worth it. Absolutely. Even though we may never know the why behind our struggles in life, we can take comfort in Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. It helps to know that not only does God have a plan for our lives, He also created a way for us to have hope, through His Son, Jesus. If you have questions about how you too can have hope in Christ, feel free to ask them on the prayer request page of our website, hopeagainsthope.com. Thanks to Chad and Jay for sitting with me and telling Harper's story. Thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review, and we'll see you guys next week. Just in case you weren't aware, It Doesn't Look Good is sponsored entirely by Hope Against Hope. If you haven't taken the time to check out our website yet, you can do that at hopeagainsthope.com. And please consider making a tax-deductible donation while you're there. Every dollar donated goes directly to people that have life-threatening illnesses 
and to make sure we can continue to provide that much needed financial relief. Thanks.